can get up. Rise for the reading of God's word. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We are in Mark chapter 15. We are going through, we're going through, let me see, just setting the clock here. Wait, how do I do that? There we go. Going through the book of Mark, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, we are right smack in the middle of the crucifixion now, the, the road to the crucifixion. High drama to say the least. Let's begin verse 15 of Mark chapter 15 says, so Pilate, Pilate's the Roman governor, Rome, remember, was the government of the area. The Jews were underneath them. They were a subject nation and an oppressed nation under the, under the Romans. So Pilate, wanting to gratify the crowd, we're going to be talking a lot about that crowd at the beginning of the message. Pilate, wanting to gratify the crowd, released Barabbas to them, and and he delivered Jesus after he had scourged, that means whipped, scourged him to be crucified. Then the soldiers led him away into the hall called Praetorium, and they called together the whole garrison, and they clothed him with purple, and they twisted a crown of thorns, put it on his head." And began to salute him. Hail, king of the Jews. And then they struck him on the head with a reed and spat on him. And bowing the knee, they worshipped him. And when they had mocked him, they took the purple off him, put his own clothes on him, and led him out to crucify him. And then they compelled a certain man, Simon, a Cyrenian, the father of Alexander and Rufus, as he was coming out of the country and passing by to bear his cross. And then they brought him to the place Golgotha, which is translated place of a skull. And then they gave him wine mingled with myrrh to drink, but he did not take it. And when they crucified him, they divided his garments, casting lots for them to determine what every man should take. And that was the third hour, and they crucified him. And the inscription of his accusation was written above, the king of the Jews. With him, they also crucified two robbers, one on his right and the other on his left. So the scripture was fulfilled, which says, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, aha, you who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests also, mocking among themselves with the scribes, said, he saved others. Himself he cannot save. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. Even those who were crucified with him reviled, which means insulted, 
him. Let's pray. Lord, this isn't a fable. This is real life. And we don't want it to pass by without our hearts embracing it. I pray in Jesus' name that by the Spirit of God, Lord, would you just ravish us by the Spirit of God that we would embrace this truth, which is all about love for us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you may be seated. So not too many hours before this point where we're picking up this morning in the story, we've seen several things, really heavy things. We saw Jesus in the uh, Garden of Gethsemane where we saw him cry out, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death, he cried out in the Garden of Gethsemane as he was praying to God. Why so much agony? Well, we spent a whole Sunday morning on that. He was in so much agony in the Garden of Gethsemane. That's where he was arrested because your sin was being laid on him. Your sin. Past, present, and future. And at the same time, a separation, a punishment by the Father, a punishment for what? For your sin. He was experiencing it. So distressing was that moment that his capillaries exploded in his sweat glands and there was blood in the sweat as he cried out to God. He was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane and taken into Jerusalem for a religious trial at the Jewish high priest's house where he was condemned to death. Why? For declaring that he was the son of God. At the conclusion of the trial, we saw the ones who condemned him to death spit in his face. Blindfold him, strike him and say, hey, prophesy to us and tell us who hit you. Because the Jews were not allowed to put him to death, the next thing was they sent him to the Roman governor. That's Pilate. And because they couldn't bring charges against him for death, saying that he was the son of God, they said, well, he's saying he's the king of Israel. So put him to death for that. And so at the beginning of this chapter, chapter 15, the Roman governor asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus responded, yeah, it is as you say. Now we know from the book of John that he said, but my kingdom is not of this world. Pilate, the governor, wants to let him go. He could tell he was innocent. He had been warned by his wife. Guys, listen to your wife. Your wives. His wife had said, let this just man go because I've suffered many things in a, in a dream in a, today because of him. He tried to let him go. It was his, the custom at the time, this is the 
time of the Passover, which is sort of kind of our Easter, the Jewish version, commemorating different events, but, but it was the same time. That's why many were gathered in Jerusalem. Um, it was his custom to release a prisoner and let him go. He tried to convince the multitude of people to let Jesus go, but they asked for another prisoner by the name of Barabbas who had committed murder. When Pilate asked them, well, what do you want me to do with Jesus? He said, they said, let him be crucified. And when he said, why? What, what has he done? And they just cried out louder, all the louder, crucify him. So verse 15, that's where we pick up this morning. Let's read it together again. It says, um, it says so Pilate, wanting to gratify the crowd, released Barabbas to them. And he delivered Jesus after he had scourged him to be crucified. Now, as we discussed in our last message, Matthew, uh, Mark, and Luke make a big deal about this exchange. A lot of ink is dedicated in the Bible to describing how Jesus is condemned to death even though he's innocent and Barabbas is set free even though he's guilty. Now we discuss why. Why so much attention to that in Matthew, Mark, and Luke? It's because the Lord wanted to give you here today a picture of what has happened to, to you. The Bible says that because of your sin, because of your insistence on being a God substitute for making your own decision, when rubber meets the road for saying, yeah, I'll do what I want to do, regardless of what the Bible says, it says that you were condemned under the sentence of death, a prisoner, a slave to sin. You were in prison like Barabbas, but God so loved the world. He so loved you that he sent his son to switch places with you, though completely innocent. Jesus had no sin. He went, he, he, he went to his death to set you free. Again, again verse 15. Uh, it, it says, so Pilate, wanting to gratify the crowd, released Barabbas to them. He delivered Jesus after he had scourged him to be crucified. Imagine being Barabbas. He woke up that morning fully expecting to be put to death for his crime. And now he's walking into the crowd. I'm, I'm free. I am free. I'm free. And, and, and just the exhilaration there. And oh, Calvary Chapel, that you would walk away even from this service. That same way, I'm free. <laughs> I, 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 I'm free. I deserve death, hell, and, and a prison cell like Barabbas, but I'm free. So Pilate releases Barabbas, but delivers Jesus to the will of the crowd. What's going to happen to these, this crowd? What is going to happen to these people who had the opportunity to get Jesus and they said, no, away with them. Let them be crucified. And they asked for a murder and said, what is going to be happen to them? 
this bloodthirsty crowd, surely God is going to send them to the lowest, hottest place in hell. No. He's going to save them. He is going to save their souls. Fast forward to the book of Acts. You don't have to go there. Chapter 2, Jesus has been resurrected. He has been ascended into heaven. A crowd has gathered. The apostle Peter's preaching to the crowd. And he's telling them, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And then he says this to the crowd. He says, therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified. It's this crowd. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And then what happens next? Next verse. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? It says they were cut to the heart. Well, what do we have to do about this? So Peter says to them, repent, meaning turn from your sin, Turn from your sin. Instead of trying to get Jesus out of the way, which is what we do, by the way, we don't like someone being in control of our life. Get them out of the way. We push out God. Peter says, turn to God. Turn, repent. Let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin, and you shall receive the Holy Spirit. And so what happened next? It says, then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Now, it doesn't stop there. What happened to these people who were crying out for Barabbas, a murder, and saying, let Jesus be crucified? Next chapter says this. Chapter 3 says, same thing. A crowd is gathered. The apostle Peter is preaching to them, and he says this to them. For it is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our ancestors, who has brought glory to his servant Jesus by doing this. Now listen, look carefully here. Read carefully. This is the same Jesus whom you handed over and rejected before Pilate despite Pilate's decision to release him. See? What's going on here? Next verse. You rejected this holy righteous one and instead demanded the release of a murder. He's talking to the people who were crying out for Barabbas. He says, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead, and we're all witnesses of this fact, so you're all going to hell. That's not what he said. He says this, repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. And then at the beginning of chapter 4, it says, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. It's a remarkable thing. You know, Paul says, the Apostle Paul says this in 1 Timothy, he says, Christ Jesus came to the world to save sinners, of whom I am 
the worst. Jesus doesn't come into the world and, 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 and kind of like looking for the people who, who look, who look kind of good and they're not insulting him. They're not in the pro-abortion march. They're not, you know, running with some political party that's uh, trying to do real wicked things and say, well, I'm not going to save them. No, he goes right to the very least that you would expect to be saved, and he saves them. Why? To glorify his holy name. That's what he does. So let's continue reading in Mark chapter 15. Verse 16. Then the soldiers led Jesus away into the hall called Praetorium and they called together the whole garrison. So there's hundreds of Roman soldiers have gathered around Jesus. The governors just released them released Jesus, Jesus to them. Now remember at the time, at this time, you know, the Romans for fun used to fill up stadiums and have gladiators, men, fighting with each other with swords and killing each other. That's what they did for fun. They would throw prisoners to lions and see lions devour prisoners. And when someone was sentenced to death like this, a governor would do this kind of thing. A judge would just release him to his own uh, soldiers to be just a plaything for cruelty. And so we see Jesus being subject to that. It says they clothed him with purple, verse 17. They twisted a crown of thorns on his head and put it on his head. They began to Salute him, hail king of the Jews. They struck him on the head with a reed and spat on him and bowing the knee they worshipped him. When they had mocked him, they took the purple off him but put his own clothes on him and led him out to crucify. You know, I know it's, I know it's difficult to read some of this stuff. But it's there for us to observe. Verse 19 again said, they struck Jesus. He's taking, why is this happening? He's taking the punishment for your sin. Your sin, whether you're aware of it or not, your sin, consider how evil it is, your, your sin, your rebellion, my rebellion, that it took the blood and the punishment of the Son of God to pay for it. But here, I mean, is there a worse thing than this? They're mocking him. They put a robe on him, a purple. It's a, they call it purple, meaning the robe of, of royalty here. Uh, and, and they are bowing down to him. They're spitting on him. Certainly, certainly, certainly. There's a special place in hell reserved for these people, Right? Wrong! You're thinking like a Pharisee if you, if you nodded your head. Look at verse 50. Ooh, where are we here? Look at uh, verse 39. It says, when the centurion, 
That's the Roman soldier who's head of this whole thing. He's letting it all happen. He's letting his soldiers kick Jesus and spit on him and mock it. It says when the, this is after Jesus had died. Verse 37 said, Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last. Verse 39 says, when the centurion stood opposite and saw that he cried out like this and breathed last, he said, truly this man was the son of God. Matthew says this. The book of Matthew says this. It says, now when the centurion and they that were with him, meaning the other soldiers, these soldiers who had participated in the spitting, the kicking, the whatever, the, uh, when, they, w- watching, when they saw the earthquake, because there was an earthquake right after um, Jesus died, and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, truly, this was the Son of God. God saved them. Let's continue. Verse 21. It's at the end of verse 20 again. They led him off to crucify him. Verse 21 says, They compelled a certain man, Simon a Cyrenian, the father of Alexander and Rufus, as he was coming out of the country and passing by to bear his cross, to help carry the cross or carry it. And we know from the book of John, Jesus started off carrying the cross. Then the book of, uh, of, of, it says, the book of Matthew says, as they were going out, they found this guy, Simon, who either carries the heavy part of the cross for Jesus or was carrying the whole thing for Jesus. What happens to this guy? Anyone know? What? He gets saved. Notice how it says here, Simon the Cyrenian, the father of Alexander and Rufus. Who's Alexander and Rufus? Well, the man who wrote this, Mark, John Mark, was his full name, wrote this in the 40s or the 50s. Jesus died in about 33 AD. This book is written in the uh, 30s, uh, rather the 40s or 50s. And guess who are solid, well-known disciples who would be, their name would be recognized by anyone reading this book, Alexander and Rufus, the son of this man, Simon. You know, a glorious thing um, um, uh, that uh, the Bible teaches is uh, that um, in the book of Acts, when the Philippian jailer, comes to Paul and he says, how, how does someone get saved? Paul says, what? Believe in the Lord Jesus. You'll be saved, you and your whole home, your household. God does that. So this, this man, by all accounts, commentators virtually all agree, he was saved. Jesus saved him. He saves people who, yeah, they're out doing things that we would call good things. He doesn't just save the people who are cursing Jesus or cursing God or are or, or, or pro-evil, whatever. He saves people out there who are, they're out there doing good stuff. He saved this man, Simon. Let's continue. Verse 22, 
says, and they brought him to the place of Golgotha, which is translated the place of the skull. And then they gave him wine mingled with myrrh to drink, but he did not take it. Now, myrrh was like an opioid, something that would have dulled his pain. Why didn't he drink it? Because he was taking the full punishment for you. He, he had to pay for your sin. And he, he, he knew he was not permitted to do anything less than that full punishment for your sin. So he doesn't tr- uh, uh, take the drink. It says they, verse 24 says, they, when they crucified him, they divided his garments, casting lots for them to determine what every man should take. Now that's a fulfillment of a prophecy in Psalm 22, which is a prophetic psalm, said the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who would come as Savior into the world, when he died, they would be gambling for his clothes. And so they divided his garments, casting lots, that's the soldiers. Verse 25 says, now it was the third hour and they crucified him. They drove an iron stake through his left hand, his right hand, and his feet. Now it was the third hour, and they crucified him. I read a wonderful comment on this. One of Job's friends, his helpers, somewhere around chapter 7, a long book, Job, describes God as higher than the heavens and lower than hell and everything in between. He's so vast, who can know him? That's what the cross is. We'll never get it all. Folks, cross is higher than the heavens. The joys of heaven are given to us because of the cross. And the fires of hell are paid for and avoided because of the cross. Verse 25, now it was the third hour. And they crucified him. And the inscription of his accusation was written above the king of the Jews. With him they also crucified two robbers, one on his right and the other on his left. And so the scripture was fulfilled which says, and he was numbered with the transgressors. Meaning he was numbered, he was he was treated like a criminal. He was thrown into a band or into a group of criminals. He was numbered with the transgressors. Verse 29, and those who passed by 
blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, aha, you who destroy the temple and build in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. The crowd is mocking him. Are you guys singing, where's Dan? Are you guys seeing how deep the Father's love is for us? Uh, that's an amazing thing. You can? You prepared it. Because where's Manuel? So I was going to text Manuel at about seven this morning and say, hey, is this in your repertoire? Can you sing it? And, and, and the, the thing that I was saying, the thing, and, and they're good, as it turned, I didn't. I, I was going to, but then I had mercy on Manuel. I was like, if he's like, doesn't know how to do it, what, what are we going to do? But I was thinking of the, of the verse. Do we happen to have it, Dave, handy? Can you put the second verse up there? The second verse of how deep the Father's love for us. I was just thinking about the second verse to a song called How Deep the Father's Love for Us. It says, How great the pain of searing loss the Father turns his face away. So that, that's where, the, uh, in, starting in Gethsemane, and then on the cross, the Lord is, is there's a separation that's happened because that sin, your sin is on Jesus. And Jesus is experiencing that loss of that fellowship he's had for all eternity. And then his wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. Can we have the next verse? Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. And it's this verse here, it's this verse here that it's talking about. Where it says, and those, verse 29, and those who blasphemed him, rather, those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, aha, you who destroy the temple and build it in three days, which Jesus did say, uh, not that he would destroy the temple, but he said, you guys destroyed this temple, I'll rebuild it in three days. He was speaking about his body. They weren't aware of that. But they're mocking him here. Verse 30, save yourself, come down from the cross. Here, this verse again, it's talking about um, ashamed. I hear my mocking voice call out amongst the scoffers. Whoever, this is Stuart Townend wrote this song. I mean, this guy was filled with the Holy Spirit when he wrote this thing. Because what he is recognizing there, he's got a piece of that in him. That will mock God, the things of God. We all got it in us. Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice calling out amongst these scoffers in verse 29 and 30 of Mark chapter 15. Last verse. Let's go ahead and do the last verse. Can we do the last verse? It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. So your son, he could have gotten off the cross. They were saying, come down from the cross, save yourself. No, it was your sin and mine that held Jesus there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. What? Everything that needs to be done for you to have an everlasting, joy-filled relationship with the Son of God.
Verse 31, likewise, the chief priests also, the chief priests also, mocking among themselves with the scribe, said, he saved others. Himself he cannot save. Verse 32, let the Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. These are the people in religious within religious authorities. These are the ones who, by the way, plotted to put him to death, changed the charges from the time they charged him, condemned him to death because he said he was the son of God, switched those around because they knew that the Romans would, would don't care about that. Well, he says he's the king of Israel. Kill him for that. These guys plotted his death. Surely. Surely these people. Surely them. There's a hot, hot, hot place in hell reserved from them, for them, right? By now you get it. By now you get it, right? Let's go to the book of Acts. The book of Acts, a few chapters after, uh, chapter four, it says, then the word of God spread and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Do we have the Timothy verse again? Again, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Of whom I am the worst. And then the next part of the verse says what? It says... Even, end of verse 32, even those who were crucified with him reviled him. Meaning the two, the thief on his right and his left, they're saying the same thing. They're hanging on the cross saying, listen, if you're the son of God, save yourself and us. Who are you? They were mocking him. Now, I know most of you know where I'm going with this. Certainly, they're going to hell. Nope, not one of them. Book of Luke has just one of the greatest stories. Can we, can we keep the verse down just for a second? Uh, the most powerful uh, stories uh, in the Bible one of these two guys who was cursing him on the cross flipped. What happened? Well, he's cursing him. He's cursing uh, Jesus. Save yourself. Save us. Come on. Who are you? Uh, you know, uh, blaspheming him, insulting him. If you're the king of Israel, come down. He's cur- and, but, but then something happens. And I think what happened to he is when Jesus said, right before, he said, he heard him say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And then he looked above the cross and it says, King? And then darkness comes over the land. I believe that the darkness had come over the land by that point. And he's like, and, 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 and then he's, he's hearing the other thief continue to revile and insult Jesus. 
And then he says, and he turns to the guy, and he says this. He says, the other criminal said to him, don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. He repents. He turns from his selfishness, his rebellion against God at the very last moment of his life. Such is the grace of God. And then he says this, Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus responded, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. Again, 1 Timothy 1.15, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. What an amazing picture of how much God loves. Throughout this entire thing, this unimaginably horrific trial that Jesus is going through, right in the middle of it, he's saving people. Like the the book of Jude says, at the end of the book of Jude, it says he says, saving people from the fire. He's saving them. If not at that time, soon thereafter, he's saving people. God loves like that. That is your God. God loves you. He loves you. He loves like you. He loves to love you and save you and and, and pour himself into you. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up so they can sing that song. But as they're coming up, I want to point this out, that, that, that there's some of you in this room that you're thinking, well, I'm not a Barabbas. I didn't murder anyone. I'm not a Roman soldier who spat in the face of Jesus. I'm not a religious figure who, instead of giving people the truth, that I rejected the truth and plotted to put them to death. Well, you just need to go read the Sermon on the Mount, chapter, Matthew chapters 5 through 7, and read it about 20 times. And that'll complete you, completely rid you of that kind of thinking. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, you have, you have heard that it was said of old, Those who commit murder are worthy of death. But I tell you that if you have anger in your heart, and especially if you express it, you're a murderer. You have have heard that it was old. uh, uh, Adultery is, is worthy of death. But I say to you, if you lust after someone who's not your husband or wife, you're an adulterer. Again, the man who wrote this song that you're about to sing, he got it. When he reads verse 29, and he reads about people passing by, blaspheming, insulting Jesus on the cross, save yourself, dude. 
He said, I hear my mocking voice calling out amongst the mockers. Oh, that uh, you would see the connection between your sin and what happened on the cross. If you could rise now. If you've been asked to pray, if you could come up. If you've been asked to pray with us, please come up. Perhaps there is... Perhaps there's some of you in this room who have never unreservedly, unconditionally, without any qualification, given your life to Jesus Christ. The Bible does say that's what it takes to be saved. All those pictures we saw this morning of salvation, each one of them was people, basically they're saying, oh, wow, (laughs) I, I, I don't deserve salvation but I want it please I give you my all if you've never done that please come up and we can lead you in a prayer of salvation which is very very simple you you cannot be saved none of these pictures the people who got saved today none of them not even one of them did you see anyone trying to be good enough in order to earn a relationship with God. Without exception, every one that we saw, it was merely by faith saying, I'm done with being a selfish fool. I I want Jesus Christ in my life. And if you've never done that, come up and we can just pray pray through it and we can pray a similar prayer to they prayed with you but there if there's anything else stirring on your heart anything else the cross is higher than the heaven is lower than the hell and everything in between what happened there on the cross he, he the joys of heaven were purchased for you on the uh, on the on the cross and maybe you're thinking that joy has escaped me I want it up for prayer if there's anything else anything else maybe there's someone else you want to come up and pray for who you desire that for just come up and pray as we as we close in worship let me let me pray and then we'll we'll worship and pray father i thank you in jesus name lord your word says that you desire all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth and oh have we seen that today But the Bible also teaches that we still, uh, every man, every woman, you give them the free will to reject your calling of them. That's a mystery, Lord. We don't fully understand it. And I pray, Father, that you would draw to salvation those today, but also, Lord, that we can worship you with just a if not a full, a much greater understanding of how much you love. I pray this in Jesus' name.